T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEM. Joe Beamer with you. Brenda Alacy should be hopefully joining us later this month as she is still recovering. Joining us this segment is political strategist Carl Calabrese. Carl, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Carl, let's, uh, I want to start with something that happened last night. You know, uh, Mitt Romney was giving a speech in front of, I believe, 2,000 uh, Republicans in Utah and got booed off the stage. Is uh, Mitt Romney the Republican of the past? In Utah, I think he is. Uh, probably nationwide as well. He's, uh, he has been outside of the mainstream of the Republican Party for quite some time. I think he sees himself as picking up the mantle from the, uh, the deceased. Uh, John McCain. Um, And that plays very well in Washington. It plays very well with the national media. But to the Republican base, um, it it doesn't, it it really is a a burden for him and certainly in his his home state. And I've always said from the very beginning that uh, I would be shocked if he did not face a primary in, uh, I believe, four years uh, when he is up again. Uh, I think uh, Utah Republicans uh, conservative Republicans will be gunning for him, and uh, I expect he will have a very tough time uh, retaining the Republican nomination. His best hope would be for numerous candidates, so many that the vote is split and he's able to sneak in. But yeah, I think uh, what happened last night is a sign of things to come for Senator Romney. But looking at a national picture and the midterms coming up in 2022, is the Republican base pushing Republicans like that away going to hurt the Republican Party in the 2022 midterms? Well, it could. It, it, it could. But Republicans have a lot of wind at their back, so to speak, going into the 2022 midterms from an historical standpoint. The, the average loss of House seats for a president who is facing his first midterm congressional election is 27 seats. That's historical. That's an average. Going back to Harry Truman, since they've been keeping these records and, and doing these averages, uh, the Republicans need six seats to regain control of the House of Representatives. Uh, they're probably going to pick up three or four just from the reapportionment shift uh, from uh, blue states to red states. Uh, and so <laughs> if the Republicans can't win back the House in 2022, given those historical trends, uh, given, you know, just given what I think will be a natural reaction for the American voter whenever a party is placed in power and given total power, White House, House of Representatives, and Senate, there usually is a pushback 
uh, a correction, so to speak, two years down the road where people say we need more of a balance because the party in power, be it Republican or Democrat, has overreached. And I've always said that one thing you can count on, especially from the progressive left, is that when they get power, they use it and they usually overreach. And I think you're seeing that now with, with talk about uh, uh, making uh, the District of Columbia a state. There's a commission now, uh, actually there's a bill in the House of Representatives to pay reparations for slavery. Um, you've got the spending uh, that's going on. You've got the idea of packing the Supreme Court, the idea of ending the filibuster. I just think there's going to be that natural reaction to balance things out and, and give some kind of check and balance to the opposition party in 2022. So I think there's, an all, kind, there's all kinds of advantages that the, if the Republicans mess this up, shame on them, they probably ought to go out of business. But they're looking at a situation where, as I said, the average loss of seats for the party in power in the, first pres in the president's first midterm is 27 in the House and three in the Senate. So uh, you know they, they've certainly got uh, the historical record on their side. Let's see how they, how they use it and the, if they use it properly. Now, one thing playing into that is the man in the White House, President Joe Biden. Uh, what do you think of his first 100 days? And has anything surprised you of the first 100 days of the Biden presidency? Yeah, a lot has surprised me. I think a lot has surprised the American people. I, if I had to term it, I give it a, a, a term, a, a slogan, it would be the, the 100 days of bait and switch, because uh, that's essentially what has happened. We were sold during the campaign that Joe Biden was a unifier and a moderate, and he's been anything but. Uh, his comments uh, about race have been, I think, very divisive for a president, continually to use the terms of the, of the progressive left and, uh, that the United States is, uh, is, is a systemically racist country. People in his administration, his uh, uh, ambassador to the UN said at an international meeting that the seeds of systemic racism are sown into our founding documents. This is, this is not only bizarre, it's, it's absolutely offensive. Uh, that we're saying this at the highest levels of the administration to our own people and to the people of the world. So that's the first thing. Um, and he sold himself as a moderate. And based on the spending that we've seen, what looks to be upwards of $6 trillion in the first 100 days, it, it's just, it's shocking to me. I mean, it makes, it makes FDR and Lyndon Johnson look like paupers. I mean, they look stingy compared to what he's doing. So uh, I think that has been a big surprise to me and I think to a, a lot of American people. He gave a speech on Wednesday, Carl, in front of, I think, 200 members of Congress. Did anything in that speech stick out? Uh, a couple of things. First of all, um, I watched it with the idea that, you know, how will he perform? Uh, late at night, going for an hour plus. We've seen him in situations where he begins to stumble and bumble and loses train of thought, and he gets that faraway look in his eyes like he, he can't figure out from where he came or where he wants to go. So I was really interested to see if, if we were going to witness that. Uh, for the most part, we did not. I, I thought he, he performed pretty well. There were a couple of times in the last 15 minutes where we saw a little bit of that, but it didn't dominate the speech. So from a a delivery standpoint, I thought he did well. Uh, overall, though, it was kind of a boring speech. There, there's that visual of te uh, Ted Cruz, literally, you know, his eyes rolling back and falling to sleep. Um, I would categorize it as it, it could have been announced on television as live from pandemic theater. I mean, I, I just shook my head. Here we have a chamber that fits 1,600 people. We've got 200 people in it. They're all distance and they're all wearing masks. Even the Republicans, and I really was very critical uh, on, on uh, 
on the show the other morning with Brian and Susan. What were the Republicans thinking? Why were they wearing masks? They should have, if I was advising them, I would have advised them that when Joe Biden opened his speech by saying, Madam Speaker, every Republican should have taken off their masks. Now, the left would have gone crazy. The media would have gone crazy. I know that's redundant, but that would have happened. And the Republicans' response would have been, hey, we're following the science, just like Dr. Fauci and President Biden says. The CDC has said that fully vaccinated people, and everybody in that chamber was, was vaccinated, fully vaccinated people can gather with other vaccinated people indoors without social distancing and without a mask. That's what the science says, and that's the message we're going to send to the American people. The Democrats are sending the message that they don't believe the vaccine works or they don't trust that it works. That's not what we want to say. So I think the Republicans blew a golden opportunity to break out of the mold and set the tone for a new message. So that's what really struck me uh, about the, the atmosphere of the speech. And, uh, you know, getting back to what Biden actually said, again, I said this the other morning, and for those listeners who didn't hear it, I'll say it again. My impression of the speech was that if you, if you took Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal and you took Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, and you mix them together, what you get is the great deal. And that's basically what Biden is trying to sell, a great deal. He's saying to American people, I'm going to give you a major expansion of government, government services, literally from cradle through, you know, beyond. And you're not going to have to pay a dime, middle class. We're, going to, we're just going to tax the rich, and you're going to get all of these services free. What a great deal. That's what he was trying to sell. I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's true. Uh, I think... The, the, the tax revenue in this country is centered in the middle class. There simply aren't enough rich people making enough money to pay for this level of government. Eventually, you'll see government reach into the pockets of the middle class. And, and Joe, last week something happened. Um, it was very, kind of underreported. It was reported, but you had to look for it. Joe Biden has requested an $80 billion increase in funding for the IRS to aggressively go after income reporting. Wow. If you don't think that the long arm of the IRS with aggressive uh, pursuit of, of income is not going to end up in the pockets of the middle class, then you probably believe Barack Obama when he said, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Exactly. And it's such a great point about the mask feeder or the pandemic feeder uh, in Congress. You know, it's the same party that's saying, we don't understand this vaccine hesitancy. Why aren't people getting the vaccine? Well, you have a you have an administration full of vaccinated people that won't take off their mask and keep on socially distancing. I, I think the messaging from D.C. is really playing into that um, into that hesitancy. It's as counterproductive as you can make it. I really firmly believe that you could cut the hesitancy in half, at least in half, if not more, simply by saying, once you get vaccinated and you've gone the, the requisite number of days following your second shot, if, if you get the two-shot regime, once you've reached that point, throw away the mask. If you said that, I think you would see hesitancy drop in half, if not more. Uh, but, you know, that it's just, it's not in the interests of the Democrats to say that, and I'll tell you why. I really believe that the Democrats want to continue this fear factor of, of the pandemic for two reasons. Number one, it allows them to continue writing massive bills, 2,000 pages plus, with massive spending in the trillions of dollars, not billions, but trillions, and do it under the guise of COVID relief. 
And when you actually look at the bills, you find out that only 30, 35% of the spending has to do with COVID. The rest is, you know, pet projects, pork, whatever you want to call it, but it's not COVID. So as long as they can continue to say that they're spending this kind of money because of COVID, they can continue passing these huge spending bills. And secondly, I really do believe the Democrats would like to carry this fear factor into 2022 and try to get the 2022 election conducted the same way the 2020 election was handled, and that is by mass mail-in votes without verification of who sent the ballot back. Because I think that's their, maybe their best and only chance of retaining one or both houses of Congress is to have that kind of election again. But do you think holding on to this pandemic and holding on to the masking, even after we've got vaccines, we've got numbers down, is eventually going to hurt them, especially with independent voters in the North? Oh, I think so. I think actually, I think the public is moving ahead of the the politicians in Washington and the and the uh, public health bureaucracies on this. People have people have had enough. Now, New York is an exception. Okay, I, I believe New Yorkers are more compliant than a lot of places in the country. But I spent some time in Florida this winter, and. Uh, People in Florida, they, they stopped wearing masks months ago. They started going to mass gatherings and parties and, and restaurants months ago. Uh, it's almost a minority of people down, down here that wear a mask. Um, we're seeing around the country major events opening up, baseball games, the Indy 500 without masks. And I think it was uh, Brian Mazurowski who the other morning had a great line and the morning show, he said, you know, all of these things are opening up around the country. People are throwing away the masks and in New York, we're celebrating the fact that the governor has lifted his order that you, you have to have food when you sit at a bar and have a drink. We're celebrating that as a great relief from the burdens of government. So that's where we are in New York. But I, I have no question in my mind, if you travel around the country, American people are moving beyond this. And as the numbers continue to fall, uh, it's going to become more pronounced. You know, Joe, the other day I heard, earlier in the week, I heard Dr. Fauci on some show talking about why we have to have masks. And he said, we, we still have 60,000 new cases a day. And that struck me as odd. So I went on online and I went to the CDC website and I went to the Johns Hopkins website, which is a very good website, has been from the very beginning of the pandemic in terms of tracking it. And on the day he said that, there wasn't 60,000 new cases, there was 37,000 new cases. And by the end of the week, there were 32,000 new cases a day. So I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm going to be watching Fauci the next time he's on to see if he continues to use that 60,000 figure or he reflects the real data that he often tells us we have to follow with the cases that right now are plummeting, which should not be a surprise to anybody. Between the number of people who've gotten the vac vaccination and the number of people who've been infected by the, by the virus, I think we're within a month of hitting that herd immunity number of 70, 75, 80%. Oh, I, I hope so, Carl. I hope so. Our next guest, uh, Kevin Hardwick, he said something interesting with Brian and Susan on Thursday uh, that alluded that since the pandemic's been going on, Americans want a bigger federal government. Now, I look at this and think the complete opposite. Uh, do you agree with Kevin or do you agree with me? Well, I agree with you. I, I think if they if they do want bigger government, well, Understand, the bigger government that they're being sold is the great deal. You're going to get free services and not have to pay for it. Who wouldn't want that? Of course that's going to pull well. I mean, once they figure out that that's not the case, that they may be paying more for it, either through taxes, fees, or government regulation that begins to uh, cut down the number of new businesses and jobs created and so on and so forth, um, then they will uh, they will 
come back to the position that has been the dominant position for the last 40 years, and that is having big government with these big bureaucracies take over these problems are, is almost always destined to fail. I mean, it, it failed really in the New Deal. We, we know that the New Deal did not get us out of the Depression. World War II did. We know that all of the wars that Lyndon Johnson declared on poverty, on, on, uh, on racism, on on illiteracy, on teenage pregnancy, all of those wars were failures. And it's just, and, and I'd be interested to hear Kevin's comments, um, turning over these problems to this massive behemoth federal government that is so heavy in bureaucracy to handle these problems is a loser from the start. It, it, bureaucracies are not created to be innovative, to be creative. Uh, they're there for standardization. They're there about rules and, and following set procedures, that does not work when it comes to solving modern, complex problems in a fast-moving society. It's destined for failure. It, it, it has failed us in the past when government was much smaller, and it will fail us today when government has gotten gargantuan. All right, Carl, and last, I mean, I, I could ask questions for the next two hours, but the last uh, question I've got is here locally, uh, Governor Cuomo, still under investigation, by the way, two different scandals going on. We talked about that a little bit with Assemblyman Pat Burke last segment. Uh, do you think he's ever going to face an impeachment? No, I do not, unless there's one ex- exception to that statement. If it turns out that the Department of Justice finds that he committed a felony, in the reporting of the deaths in the nursing homes, and or if Letitia James, the attorney general, finds that he committed a felony um, in the sexual harassment issues, then he might face impeachment. He might. Um, Not sure if the Democrats have the stomach to do that, but that would be the only path to impeachment I could see. Otherwise, uh, I really don't think the Biden Department of Justice is going to indict a fellow Democrat. I really don't. Um, And when push comes to shove, I don't, I don't think the, the Assembly and Senate will do it. Um, I think the big question is, he will survive this if, if he does not have a felony issue. He will stick it out. He's shown that he has the, the fortitude and the thick skin to do it. The question is, will he run for re-election? And in the last Siena poll, the number that really jumped out at me was when people were asked at, uh, in the next gubernatorial election, would you like to see Andrew Cuomo reelected, or would you prefer to see someone else? 57% of New Yorkers said, I prefer someone else, versus 33% who said, give us Cuomo again. And that number, both of those numbers were worse for him from the previous month's Siena poll. So the, the numbers are bad in and of themselves, and the trend is moving towards the worse side of the ledger for him. So I think, I think incumbent uh, fatigue is starting to settle in. Uh, executives have a tough time winning fourth terms because by the fourth term, they generally have made enough enemies and kind of worn their welcome thin that people think it's time for a change. Uh, I think you're starting to see that in the Cuomo numbers. And I'm going to be watching um, the Siena polls every month for that very question to see how, how large it grows. And Carl, we'll be talking to you about that, I'm sure, in the uh, coming weeks and months. Thank you so much for joining me on a Sunday. Thank you, Joe. Enjoyed it. Political strategist Carl Calabrese, and when we come back, Professor Kevin Hardwick will give us his takes from the left perspective, pretty much on the exact same questions I asked Carl. So stay tuned. It's Hardline here on WBEN. Welcome back. It is T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you. One final segment. And then it's the afternoon, and I have seven hours until the Mets game starts. So I'll probably take a nap. But, you know, who cares what I'm doing after the show? We do have one more guest, and it is Professor and Erie County Legislature, le- Legislator, Kevin Hardwick. Professor Hardwick, good morning. Good morning. And, and don't assume no one cares about uh, your nap or the Mets, for that matter. Although, I got to admit... I'm relying on your tweets to tell me how they did. Oh. I'm glad they finally won a game. Yeah, you know, it was nice for uh, for the Mets and for my fantasy team to see uh, Conforto get that home run. Now I'm almost 100 points up on Tom Puckett. Well, well, uh, that's a low bar there. <laughs> We're going to cut that one out for Tom tomorrow. Um, Kevin, you know, let's start. I want to start the same way I started the interview with Carl Calabrese, and that's last night Mitt Romney giving a speech to a GOP convention in Utah. I believe there were 2,000 people, people there, and he got booed off the stage. Um, what are your, a, your thoughts on that? And is, is the Republican Party really moving away from people like Mitt Romney, and is that going to help or hurt them? Well, let me answer the last question first. Uh, they certainly are moving away uh, from Mitt Romney. Realize it was just, uh, what, what was it, uh, just 2012 uh, that he was their, their nominee, right? Um, that's, you know, uh, that's astounding. And before that, it was John McCain. So the party of McCain and Romney, uh, in a very short period of time, became the party of Donald Trump. And the people, the followers, and, and Mitt Romney and John McCain, when he was alive themselves, were the ones that were, were kind of shoved to the side and then, you know, last night in Utah, uh, booed. Um, yeah, and that's going to have an impact on the party. It's certainly going to drive them, it's going to drive them to the right, uh, which all other things being equal is going to hurt them in elections because they, they will lose the center. Uh, but all things are never equal, are they? Uh, on the other side of the aisle, you've got the Democrats uh, uh, being pushed by progressives uh, to the left, <laughs> again, away from the center. Uh, so the question is, I guess, who goes further out on a, on a, on a limb? You know, it's interesting because we always talk third parties, right? You always hear about third party this, third party that. Is this the, the first time you can remember both parties pushing to the extremes? Oh, boy. You would, I, you'd be uh, uh, better off asking me about the Mets recently, which I haven't followed. I have to think about that one, Joe. Uh, but certainly they are being pushed to the extremes. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that's, that's in the grand scheme of things. If the goal is to win elections and, and the goal of a political party is to win elections, uh, that's not good for either of the parties. 
No, and and what what happens to independent voters? Enter kind of you know lost in the wilderness here. Exactly. All right. Speaking of uh, politics, uh, the first 100 days of the Biden administration. Uh, are you surprised by anything, or has this gone as you expected? Well, I think I think uh, um, I think a lot of people are surprised that uh, he was able to you know double his promise on vaccinations. Um, the vaccination program wasn't going as well as uh, as everyone would have liked, and and he got in there. And whether it's just because the people that are delivering the vaccines were getting better at their, what they were doing because of the learning curve, or whether you know his administration had something special about it, uh, the vaccinations are going in the arms, uh, at least until recently. And now they're slowing down, and there's this hesitancy, which we, you know, we hope we can we can overcome. Um, so I think that that probably surprised a lot of people. A lot of people expected him to stumble and bumble through the first uh, 100 days, and he, he certainly did not. And he came out with this ambitious agenda. Uh, everybody thought he was going to be a caretaker. I used the analogy or the, uh, the comparison the other day to what happened in the Catholic Church with Pope John the 23rd. They elected this old guy to 76-year-old pope. Uh, you know, just to get him through to they could figure out who they wanted to be the next pope. And the guy had Vatican II and, you know, changed the, the trajectory of the Catholic Church. Well, you know, uh, Biden is, um, is, uh, is, is a lot more uh, active than people thought he would be. He laid out an ambitious agenda uh, the other night in that speech, uh, an agenda which, of course, is going to be very difficult to, to put into effect. Uh, and for which he probably only has two years to to do it, because there is a good chance that uh, the Democrats will lose uh, one of the houses of Congress, if not both. Is there anything as a Democrat, Kevin, and I don't want to label you, but I would say a moderate Democrat, uh, that you're disappointed over the first 100 days of Joe Biden? Oh, oh, oh you can you can label me. You can label. <laughs> me. Um, no, I mean, I, like a lot of people. Um, my expectations were, you know, not uh, not sky high. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, someone who wasn't Trump, someone who I didn't have to wake up every morning and check my Twitter uh, to see, you know, what the, what the president was saying and what people were saying about what the president said. Uh, you know, uh, my blood pressure has been uh, uh, a lot more stable. Uh, in the first hundred days of the Biden presidency, um, you know, and, and to that extent, I suppose he puts a lot of people to sleep, uh, which in some cases is, is not a bad idea. I know a lot of us can, can use more sleep. I mean, you taking that nap, for instance, because you work uh, 22 hours a day at WBEN. Oh, don't give me too much credit, Kevin. Uh, speaking of moderate Democrats, and I want to go back because you mentioned Trump, so of course I have to follow up with a Trump question. Uh, Moderate Democrats, or even Democrats like you, Kevin, that were Republicans and maybe over the last four years moved to the Democrat Party, is there a Republican that could maybe not make you switch parties, but make you consider voting Republican again? And maybe not a name, but a type of Republican? Oh, you you know, I'm not going to speak for myself. I'm going to speak for for uh, uh, people in the middle like myself, of course there are. Of course there are. Um, you know, I think uh, I think uh, someone who maybe gets back towards the uh, the John McCain or Mitt Romney style of uh, of Republican who hasn't uh, just fallen in line behind Trump. I mean, you know, one of the things one of the things that upset me so much was just the number of people who just cashed in all their beliefs 
that they had espoused for years about the deficit, about, you know, about uh, uh, everything else, um, just because, you know, Trump uh, became suddenly popular. So they said, well, this is what you have to do. I mean, you look at, uh, obviously, you look at the clips of the Ted Cruz's and the Lindsey Graham's and some of the things that they said about Trump. I mean, normally in a primary situation, um, you know, you bring up some of your opponent's faults. Uh, but the way that they did it was just over the top. And then it's just like, no, I didn't mean it. No big deal. That, that's one of the things that upsets me. Uh, but speaking of, of the Trump presidency, and I'm going off my question just for one bit. I hope you don't mind. Uh, hey, I, the, the, the fact that I've been able to get you off your, uh, you know, off your mark here is, is good. I, I count that as a victory. <laughs> well, looking at the southern border uh, and the Biden Pentagon taking away funds that were supposed to go toward the border wall, as there is a crisis at the border, is that something? Because it seems like Republicans don't want to say when Joe Biden's right and Democrats won't say if and when Donald Trump was right. But it seems like the southern border was a lot more contained the four years prior to Joe Biden. Well, there were well, uh, perhaps, but there were I mean, I mean, the statistics show that there were actually more people coming over during the Trump administration than the latter years of the, the uh, Obama administration. So I don't know if that's a long term trend or, or what. Certainly, certainly the change in administration um, made a difference at the border. And uh, Biden, you know, it's not it's not one of his uh, things he's going to going to going to be most proud of of his first 100 days. That being said, I think that he and I think a lot of serious people on both sides realize that probably now is the time we've got to talk about uh, border security and uh, um, immigration reform simultaneously, because the situation for a long time has been intolerable, and we've just been kicking the can down the road, and something has to be done. And I think both have to be uh, uh, tackled simultaneously. Uh, you can't have immigration reform without border security or vice versa. But it does seem to be a, a trend. And again, this is not just a, on the Democrat side. This happens on the Republican side, too, where the party in charge uh, won't give credit to the other party. You know, hey, we're our vaccines uh, ramped up under Joe Biden. Yes, However, the vaccines were developed with help from the federal government under Donald Trump. And it seems like Joe Biden, who got the vaccine before he was president, by the way, doesn't want to give uh, Trump any credit and vice versa. You don't see Republicans giving Biden credit for anything. And it just seems to keep on feeding that division that we have that we talked about at the beginning of this interview, where you've got both parties just going to the to the extremes. Don't you think we, we could have a place here where both parties could acknowledge? Yeah, you know what? They started something that might actually help, even though they don't have the letter of my party next to their name. I, I would love for that time to exist. I would love for that place to exist. But as you know, it's been going on for a long time, and it's, it's, it's both parties. So um, I, I, I don't have a lot of hope that that'll happen. It would be nice. It would be nice. Looking All right, so back, back to Wednesday night, the uh, speech that Joe Biden gave. And we saw throughout the congressional chamber 200 people that have been vaccinated, wearing masks, and socially distant. And we now have a vaccine hesitancy issue in this country. Do you think the Biden administration could maybe push the message more? Hey, we're vaccinated. We can get rid of masks. We can start resembling what life looked like in 2019. And that might get some people off the fence to get this vaccine. Well, I, I you know, I, I think that... Um uh, people need to get the vaccine. I don't see how 
people in the chamber wearing masks, taking precautions, because not everybody has the vaccine. And people are still getting the uh, 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 being infected with COVID, and people are still dying. They're dying right here in Erie County every day, uh, which is sad because it, it shouldn't have to happen. We all thought it would be over by now, uh, and, and we need people to get the vaccine. But in the meantime, uh, if the scientists tell us that, they're, you know, that, that these precautions are necessary, I'm going to listen to the scientists. I was glad this week when they said, I don't have to wear the, the, uh, the uh, uh, mask outside, because like everybody else, I hate the mask. I really do. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward, and I think it's right around the corner, uh, to that point where we will be able to get back to some semblance of normal. I talked to my neighbor this morning as I was mowing the lawn. She said that she went to a wedding yesterday. I said, how was it? And she said, well, it was practically normal. I mean, they had to wear masks uh, until they sat down and were eating, and, and then they didn't. And she said it was, was kind of nice. Uh, I've got a wedding uh, in July, late July, and I hope that it, I hope we won't even have to wear masks by that point. Uh, but to get there... We've all, all got to do our part in the fact that uh, so many people have uh, have shown this hesitancy to uh, uh, to get the vaccine is 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 mind boggling. It really is. But you don't think the the administration and I'm, I'm not saying to include those who hadn't been vaccinated, but you don't you know, for the imagery purposes, if people turn their TVs on and saw all these vaccinated people together, maskless congregating, that might have gotten some people that are on this fence that look and go, well, why would I get this vaccine if I can't, if I still have to social distance and wear a mask? Because it seems like that's who we're getting down to. That's the people that we've got to change the message for. I, I you know, I, I, I don't know, Joe. I think that, um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, got the, I got the vaccine because I didn't want to get COVID. Uh, and I think that's the best reason to get the vaccine. Um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who are criticizing the county executive's proposal to let vaccinated people into uh, uh, the stadium. Um, I think, by the way, that by the time we get to football season, it pretty much will be a moot point. I'm very hopeful that, you know, all this will be in the rearview mirror. Um, but, you know, I mean, the the idea behind that was uh, you can, you know, you can you can get into the stadium. You don't have to get the test. And I mean, it would have been a, a nightmare if we went through it like we went for 7,500 fans for the playoff game, right? Everybody getting their uh, their test, paying $63 or whatever it was, lining up in the parking lot. Can you imagine 70,000 fans doing that like we you know, did this past season? It's a lot easier just to get the vaccine and let vaccinated people in, I think, and you know, have, your, have your little pass there that shows you've gotten the vaccine. Yeah, on, t- on Tuesday I'll be uh, eligible for the Excelsior Pass because I'll be two weeks after my second uh, my second shot. And, and I'll say this uh, about the county executive's plan. I might have my questions and disagreements with it, but I have to say it was an optimistic plan to have that image of full stadiums. And that's kind of uh, along what I was talking about. Uh, Kevin, but I want to go on a local level. The, the same questions I ended with uh, Carl Calabrese, I'll ask you. Um, you know, Governor Cuomo, under two investigations— in Albany. Uh, we had Assemblyman Pat Burke here who said he's happy uh, with the way it's going. He's called for the governor to resign. He was the first Democrat to call for his executive powers to be um, pulled away as well. Do you think Governor Cuomo will ever, A, face impeachment, and if he doesn't, do you think he'll run for re-election? Well, I, I, something tells me he probably won't be impeached. 
whether he runs for re-election or not, I, I just don't know. I think things are looking a little bit better for him today than they would have a month ago. People seem to have put everything on the back burner every day. Another woman is not coming out with allegations. That being said, I think it's, it's going to be very difficult for a lot of people, including myself, um, you know, uh, to get over, you know, to forget about what's happened. Uh, I think he's got to deal with that uh, in one form or another before, uh, before he faces reelection. And speaking of the state, losing that congressional seat last week because of the census, um, do you, you know, uh, Pat Burke said he would like to file a lawsuit, you know, the census being done during the pandemic, uh, you know, there was a lot of confusion if it was still going on, where, where do I sign up? Do like, uh, do Democrat states that have lost the seat or even Republican states, if they lost a seat, have a case against the census, um, in losing their congressional seats? Yeah, and it's it's not uncommon for uh, actions to be taken against the uh, the, the the Census Bureau uh, to challenge their counts. It oftentimes happens from large cities because realize uh, you know we're not just getting a census count for the state; we're getting a census count for the city of New York and the city of Buffalo, and a lot of uh, state and federal aid is contingent upon those uh, census counts. The more people, the more money you get. Um, so my guess is you know. They're looking closely at it. Um, the shame is that we, we only lost a seat by 89, 89 people. That was incredible. I was more worried, and I think I heard Pat Burke say this earlier, that we were going to lose two seats uh, rather than only lose one. Uh, but to think, to think that we were almost even, that, that's, that's incredible. Looking at the 2022 midterms, now you said something to Brian and Susan on Thursday, and maybe I misunderstood the quote, uh, but you were talking about Biden's proposals and how more people are on board with those proposals because of the pandemic. Do you think in 2022 people will be voting for bigger federal government because of the pandemic? I, I don't know that they will, but I think that people are more accepting of it now. Uh, because of what we went through. And certainly, and the other thing I said to Ryan and Susan, they got those checks. Uh, and for a lot of them, especially for people with a few kids, those checks were pretty hefty. Uh, and that was, you know, that was nothing if not big government handing out those, those checks. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I think that uh, a lot has changed in the last few years. I mean, again, uh, you asked earlier about uh, uh, Romney, and I talked about McCain and Romney. I mean, they were president at a time when the when the uh, um, the uh, Republican Party was all against running deficits, and they wanted to balance budget amendments, and they were deficit hawks. And then uh, in the last few years, under uh, under Trump and now under Biden, you know, we've been just running up trillions and trillions of dollars in in programs because of the COVID. So I think people are you know people are getting immune to it. Uh, yeah, let's spend a trillion here, a trillion there. Uh, it's it's not the big deal that it used to be. All right. Now, two questions. Now, Kevin, this first one, I'm not sure has to do with the uh, legislature, but I know you work right off the street. Uh, we had Congressman Higgins on Friday talking about removing the 198 to bring Delaware back together and then potentially doing the same with the 33. What do you think of proposals like this? And do will one day we see... No 198. I mean, we talk about this expressway. We talk about it with the Skyway. Is this something, A, someone who works right there, that you could see that area being without? 
Well, I mean, I work at Canisius College, and my uh, my pathway for the last 31 years uh, to work from the city of Tonawanda is the 290-190 Skajakwita Expressway, right? Um, and when the speed limit went down a few years ago, it really affected that commute. Uh, I know people will tell us, well, it only takes two more minutes or whatever. Um, maybe, but that's an awfully long two minutes. Um, I, I I agree with a lot of people who say the thing probably never should have been built in the first place, the Skajakwit Expressway or, or the 33, uh, that they ruined neighborhoods, uh, the Skajakwit, you know, uh, uh, bifurcated that, that uh, park, or Olmstead Park, Delaware Park, the flagship park, never should have been built. But the problem is, it is it is there now, and people have come to rely it, and transportation patterns have adapted to it, and uh, you know to eliminate it completely, there better be a good way to uh, to get there. Otherwise, we're going to have further backups. On, uh, on in my case, I'll come down Colvin Boulevard, and I'll stay at the stop signs and the red lights and that. And those people people in those neighborhoods probably won't enjoy all the traffic that'll be flowing through there, and especially Parkside, which is already a busy street. What's that? Especially Parkside, which is already a busy street. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm one of these people who's is kind of uh, uh, in between. You know, I again, I think it it was not a good idea when they built it. Uh, it destroyed the 33, destroyed neighborhoods, uh, the Skajakwita, You know, right through that park, not a good idea. But now that it's there, you know, uh, and people have adapted. Um, we're, you know, it's not as easy to go back. And uh, and uh, for me, you know, getting to Canisius College, like I say, on the on the Skajakwita, um used to be a lot easier than it is now. All right. And the last question, Kevin, I know you can't answer if they're going to be there or not, but we understand whoever is going to be playing at Salem Field this summer, uh, the Erie County Department of Health will be in charge of getting people either tested or, va- you know, clearing their vaccination to get into the stadium. Uh, so will that work like the Sabre games have worked this year, where you either show your vaccination card or have to get a test a few hours before the game? I, I honestly don't know, Joe. Uh, haven't been briefed on that by the health department, uh, but I'm sure they're they're thinking about it. Um, I know for many people, especially with the Blue Jays slated to be there, it's going to be a you know a once uh, once in a generation chance, right, to see professional baseball right in our you know right in our town i think it's it's awesome and i hope to get there for a game or two and i you know i i I was hoping they would play last year's schedule this year because how awesome would it have been if the mets were playing the blue jays in quote toronto slash buffalo but unfortunately that series is in new york this year Ah. what are you going to do right yeah so you'll you'll have to probably watch them lose on tv well i'm actually planning kevin a trip to new york in june to see them play the padres you know nice yeah get a little mets baseball and hopefully they uh they learn their offense by then the field i've only been there once but it's a beautiful stadium it is a beautiful beautiful stadium kevin thank you so much for joining me on a uh, on a sunday i'm sure we'll talk again very soon All right. Take care, Joe. Professor Kevin Hardwick joining us. Thank you to all my guests today. I'm very late for the break. I'm sorry about that, Scott. Uh, Meet the Press is next. Mark Levin at 1 o'clock and then Jill on Money at 4. Don't forget, we're back live with you tomorrow starting at 5 with a new morning with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski. Then BMAZ and Beamer, 9 to 10. 
David Bellavia, 10-2, Tom Barley, 2-6, and rounding out the day's coverage with Buffalo's Evening News with Tom Puckett. We'll see you then on WBEN.